Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Saturday, March 11th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Uh, definitely worth your while. A lot of great listening over there. Uh, more than you'll have time to listen to, but definitely worth your while. Uh, I want to continue to point you at the final link in our show notes. That is for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can shift gears and commence establishment of a Christian classical education-based school uh, to offer, offer an alternative to those in our community. So please go ahead and click on the link, take a read. It'll explain everything probably better, very much better than I just did. And then we would ask three things of you. We would ask you to pray for us. We would ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And then we would ask you to pass the link along so that others can do the same. All right. Thank you so much for joining me this morning, and let's go ahead and open up. We're going to be doing our regular Bible reading this morning like we usually do. Um, and so let's go ahead and open up with our seventh day morning prayer with it being Saturday. God's good pleasure. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, thy will is supreme in heaven and earth, and all beings are creatures of thy power. Thou art the father of our spirits. Thy inspiration gives us understanding. Thy providence gives, governs our lives. But, O oh God, we are sinners in our lives. I'm sorry, we are sinners in thy sight. Thou hast judged us so, and if we deny it, we make thee a liar. Yet in Christ thou art reconciled to thy rebellious subjects. Give us the ear of faith to hear him, the eye of faith to see him, the hand of faith to receive him, the appetite of faith to feed upon him, that we might find in him light, riches, honor, eternal life. Thou art the inviting one. May we hearken to thee, the almighty instructor, Teach us to live to thee, the light dweller, inaccessible to man and angels, hiding thyself behind the elements of creation, but known to us in Jesus. Possess our minds with the grandeur of thy perfections. Thy love to us in Jesus is firm and changeless. Nothing can separate us from it, and in the enjoyments of it nothing can make us miserable. Preserve us from hypocrisy and formality in religion. Enable us to remember what thou art and what we are to recall thy holiness and our unworthiness. Help us to approach thee clothed with humility, for vanity, forwardness, insensibility, disorderly affection, backwardness to duty, proneness to evil are in our hearts. Let us never forget thy patience, wisdom, power, faithfulness, care, and never cease to respond to thy invitations. Amen. All right. And now our morning devotion for March 11th from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, the text for it comes from Romans 7.13, Sin, Exceeding Sinful. Beware of light thoughts of sin. At the time of con conversion, the conscience is so tender that we are afraid of the slightest sin. Young con converts have a holy timidity, a godly fear lest they should offend against God. 
But alas, very soon the fine bloom upon these first ripe fruits is removed by the rough handling of the surrounding world. The sensitive plant of young piety turns into a willow in after life, too pliant, too easily yielding. It is sadly true that even a Christian may grow by degrees so callous that the sin which once, once startled him does not alarm him in the least. By degrees men get familiar with sin. The ear in which the cannon has been booming will not notice slight sounds. At first a little sin startles us, but soon we say, it is, not a little, is it not a little one? Then there comes another, larger, and then another, until by degrees we begin to regard sin as but a little ill. And then follows an unholy presumption. We have not fallen into open sin. True, we tripped a little, but we stood upright in the main. We may have uttered one unholy word, but as for the most of our conversation, it has been consistent. So we palliate sin. We throw a cloak over it. We call it by dainty names. Christian, beware how thou thinkest lightly of sin. Take heed lest thou fall by little and little. Sin, a little thing, is it not a poison? Who knows its deadliness? Sin, a little thing. Do not the little foxes spoil the grapes? Doth not the tiny coral insect build a rock which wrecks a navy? Do not little strokes fell lofty oaks? Will not continual droppings wear away stones? Sin, a little thing. It girded the Redeemer's head with thorns and pierced his heart. It made him suffer anguish, bitterness, and woe. Could you weigh the least sin in the scales of eternity? You would fly from it as from a serpent, and abhor the least appearance of evil. Look upon all sin as that which crucified the Savior, and you will see it to be exceedingly sim exceeding sinful. Yeah. Whew, a good one from Spurgeon this morning. All right, well, let's get into our reading. Uh, our text today um, from the scriptures, from our from our. 2023 read the bible in a year plan uh we're going to be numbers 15 verse 17 into number 16 we're going to be let's see mark 15 we're going to be in psalm 54 and then proverbs 11 verses 5 and 6 so numbers 15 verses 17 through 41 so moses and aaron took these men who had been designated by name and they assembled all the congregation together on the first of the second month. Then they registered by genealogy in their families, by their father's households, according to the number of names, from twenty years old and upward, head by head. Just as Yahweh had commanded Moses, so he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai. Now the sons of Reuben, Israel's firstborn, their genealogical registration by their families, by their father's households, according to the number of names, head by head, every male from twenty years old and upward, whoever was able to go out to war. Their numbered men of the tribe of Reuben was 46,500. Of the sons of Simeon, their genealogical registration by their families, by their father's households, their numbered men, according to the number of names, head by head, every male from 20 years old and upward, whoever was able to go out to war, their numbered men of the tribe of Simeon were 59,300. Of the sons of Gad, their genealogical registration by their families, by their father's households, according to the number of names, from twenty years old and upward, whoever was able to go out to war. Their numbered men of the tribe of Gad were 45,650. Of the sons of Judah, their genealogical registration, by their families, by their father's households, according to the number of names, from twenty years old and upward, whoever was able to go out to war. 
their numbered men of the tribe of Judah, were 74,600. Of the sons of Issachar, their genealogical registration by their families, by their father's households, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, whoever was able to go out to war, their numbered men of the tribe of Issachar were 54,400. Of the sons of Zebulun, their genealogical registration by their families, by their father's households, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, whoever was able to go out to war, their numbered men of the tribe of Zebulun were 57,400. Of the sons of Joseph, namely the sons of Ephraim, their genealogical registration by their families, by their sorry, by their father's households, according to the number of names, from twenty years old and upward, whoever was able to go out to war, their numbered men of the tribe of, of Ephraim were forty thousand five hundred. Of the sons of Manasseh, their genealogical registration by their families, by their father's households, according to the number of names, from twenty years old and upward, whoever was able to go out to war, their numbered men of the tribe of Manasseh were 32,200. Of the sons of Benjamin, their genealogical registration by their families, by their father's households, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and upward, whoever was able to go out to war, their numbered men of the tribe of Benjamin were 35,400. Of the sons of Dan, their genealogical registration... Sorry, give me just a second. I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong chapter. Excuse me. Uh, well, we got a good bit of reading. That was in Numbers 1. I didn't quite look at the top when I started. And the link I clicked took me to the wrong place. Um, sorry. Okay, let's start over. Uh, numbers 15, starting in verse 17. Sorry about that. Well, we got some extra reading in today. All right. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land where I am going to bring you, then it shall be that when you eat of the food of the land, you shall raise up a con contribution offering to Yahweh. Of the first of your dough, you shall raise up a cake as a contribution offering. As the contribution offering of the threshing floor, so you shall raise it up. From the first of your dough, you shall give to Yahweh a contribution offering throughout your generations. But when you unintentionally fail and do not observe all these commandments which Yahweh has spoken to Moses, even all that Yahweh has commanded you by the hand of Moses, from the day when Yahweh commanded and onward throughout your generations, then it will be, if it is done unintentionally, hidden from the sight of the congregation, that all the congregation shall offer one bull from the herd for a burnt offering as a soothing aroma to Yahweh, with its grain offering and its drink offering according to the legal judgment, and one male goat for a sin offering. Then the priest shall make atonement for all the congregation of the sons of Israel, and they will be pardoned. For it was an error, and they have brought their offering, an offering by fire, to Yahweh, and their sin offering before Yahweh, for their error. So all the congregation of the sons of Israel will be pardoned with the sojourner who sojourns among them. For it happened to all the people through error. Also, if one person sins unintentionally, then he shall bring near a one-year-old female goat for a sin, sorry, for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement before Yahweh for the person who goes astray when he sins unintentionally, making atonement for him that he may be pardoned. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, for him who is native among the sons of Israel, and for the sojourner who sojourns among them. But this person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is native or a sojourner, that one is blaspheming Yahweh, and that person shall be cut off from among his people, because he has despised the word of Yahweh and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. 
his guilt will be on him. Now the sons of Israel were in the wilderness, and they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering wood brought him near to Moses and Aaron, and to all the congregation. And they put him in custody, because it had not been declared what should be done to him. Then Yahweh said to Moses, The man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So all the congregation brought him outside the camp, and stoned him to death with stones, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Yahweh also spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and that they shall put on the tassel of each corner a cord of blue, and it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of Yahweh, so as to do them, and not follow after your own heart, and your own eyes, and and your own eyes, after which you played the harlot, so that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out from the land of Egypt to be your God. I am Yahweh your God. All right. Well, at least that was finally the right one. All right, now number 16. We're going to read through to verse 40. Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son, son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took others, and they rose up before Moses together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, those called upon by the assembly, men of renown. Then they assembled together against Moses and Aaron, and said to them, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and Yahweh is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of Yahweh? And Moses heard this and fell on his face. And he spoke to Korah and all his congregation, saying, Tomorrow morning Yahweh will show who is his, and who is holy, and will bring him near to himself. Even the one whom he will choose, he will bring near to himself. Do this. Take censers for yourself, Korah and all your congregation, and put fire in them, and lay incense upon them in the presence of Yahweh tomorrow. And the man whom Yahweh chooses shall be the one who is holy. You have gone far enough, you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it not enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to perform the service of the tabernacle of Yahweh and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? And that he has brought you near, Korah, and all your brothers, sons of Levi, with you? And are you seeking for the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your congregation are gathered together against Yahweh. But as for Aaron, who is he that you grumble against him? Then Moses sent a summons to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, We will not come up. Is it not enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to put us to death in the wilderness, but you would also lord it over us? Indeed, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Would you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Then Moses became very angry and said to Yahweh, Do not regard their offering. I have not taken a single donkey from them, nor have I done harm to any of them. And Moses said to Korah, You and all your congregation be present before Yahweh tomorrow, both you and they along with Aaron. And each of you take his firepan and put incense on it, and each of you bring his censer near before Yahweh. Two hundred and fifty firepans. Also you and Aaron shall each bring his firepan. So they each took his own censer and put fire on it and laid incense on it, and they stood at the doorway of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Thus Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the doorway of the tent of meeting. 
and the glory of Yahweh appeared to all the congregation. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them instantly. But they fell on their faces and said, O God, God of the spirit of all flesh, when one, one man sins, will you be angry with the entire congregation? <clears throat> then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses arose and went to Dathan and Abiram, with the elders of Israel following him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Turn aside now from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing that belongs to them, lest you be swept away in all their sin. So they got back from around the dwellings of Korah, Datham, and Abiram. But Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the doorway of their tents, along with their wives and their sons and their little ones. And Moses said, By this you shall know that Yahweh has sent me to do all these deeds, for this is not from my heart. If these men die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then Yahweh has not sent me. But if Yahweh creates an entirely new thing, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs, and they go down to Sheol alive, then you will know that these men have spurned Yahweh. And it happened that as he finished speaking all these words, the ground that was under them split open, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their households and all the men who belonged to Korah and their, with their possessions. So they and all that belonged to them went down to Sheol alive, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their outcry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up. Fire also came forth from Yahweh and consumed the two hundred fifty men who were bringing near the incense. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Say to Eleazar the son of Aaron the priest, that he shall take up the censers out of the midst of the blaze, and you scatter the burning coals abroad, for they are holy. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, make them into hammered sheets for a plating of the altar, since they brought them near before Yahweh, and they are holy, and they shall be for a sign to the sons of Israel. So Eleazar the priest sorry, so Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers which the men who were who were who were burned had brought near, and they hammered them out as a plating for the altar, as a memorial. As a memorial, where did it go? Uh, so there it is, sorry. As a memorial to the sons of Israel, that no outsider who is not of the seed of Aaron, wow, sorry, who is not of the seed of Aaron, should come near to burn incense before Yahweh, so that he will not become like Korah and his congregation, just as Yahweh had spoken to him by the hand of Moses. Wow, sorry about that. I'm kind of all over the place today with that. All right, Mark 15. And early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and scribes and the whole Sanhedrin immediately held counsel, and binding Jesus, led him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, You yourself say it. And the chief priests began to accuse him of many things. Then Pilate was questioning him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many accusations they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate marveled. Now at the feast he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. And the man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the crowd went up and began asking him to do as, had, as he had been accustomed to, to do for them. And Pilate answered them, saying, 
Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he is aware that the chief priests had delivered him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to ask them, to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. And answering again, Pilate was saying to them, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted again, Crucify him. But Pilate was saying to them, Why, what evil did he do? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. And wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him over to be crucified. So the soldiers took him away into the, pal into the palace, that is, the praetorium. And they called together the whole Roman cohort. And they dressed him up in purple. And after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to greet him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they kept beating his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling, they were bowing down before him. And after they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off him, and put his own garments on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they pressed into service a passer-by coming from the countryside, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Then they brought him to the place called Gotha, which is translated place of a skull and they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide who should take what. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And he was numbered with transgressors. And those passing by were blaspheming him, shaking their heads and saying, Ha! You who are going to destroy the sanctuary and rebuild it in three days, save yourself by coming down from the cross. In the same way mocking him to one another, the chief priests also along with the scribes were saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross, so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him, and when the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Look, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus, uttering a loud cry, breathed his last, and the veil of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was God's son. And there were also some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James, the less, and Joseph and Salome, who, when he was in Galilee, were following him and serving him, and there were many other women who came upon up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had already come, because it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent council member who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate wondered if he had died by this time, and summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he already died. And ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. And when Joseph had, brought, had bought a linen cloth and took him down, he wrapped him in the linen cloth and laid him in a tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph 
were looking on to see where he had been laid. All right. Psalm 54. For the choir director with stringed instruments, a mascal of David, when the Ziphites came and said to Saul, Is not David hiding himself among us? O God, save me by your name, and render justice to me by your might. O God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me, and ruthless men have sought my life. They have not set God before them. Selah. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is among those who sustain my soul. He will return the evil to my foes. Destroy them in your truth. With a freewill offering I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Yahweh, for it is good, for he has delivered me from all distress, and my eye has looked in triumph upon my enemies. And finally, Proverbs 11, verses 5 and 6. The righteousness of the blameless will make his way straight, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the treacherous will be captured by their own desire. All right. Well, that was our reading for today with a, with a bit of extra, and I'm sorry about that, that I, the link got me off and I didn't quite check it. So, sorry about that. Um, but hey, we got a little bit of scripture, even though it was not where we were in, in numbers. Not correct, anyways. Well, th again, thank you for spending this time with me this morning. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. Um, let's go ahead and close in prayer. The one we're going to use from Valley of Vision is called Contrition. Let's pray. O Thou Most High, it becomes me to be low in Thy presence. I am nothing compared with Thee. I possess not the rank and power of angels, but Thou hast made me what I am, and placed me where I am. Help me to acquiesce in Thy sovereign pleasure. I thank Thee that in the embryo state of my endless being, I am capable of grace of improvement that I can bear thy image, not by submissiveness, but by design, and can work with thee and advance thy cause and glory. But alas, the crown has fallen from my head. I have sinned. I am alien to thee. My head is deceitful and wicked. My mind an enemy to, my mind an enemy to thy law. Yet in my lostness thou hast laid help on the mighty one, and he comes and he comes between to put his hands on us both. My umpire daysman, mediator, whose blood is my peace, whose righteousness is my strength, whose condemnation is my freedom, whose spirit is my power, whose heaven is my heritage. Grant that I may feel more the strength of thy grace, in subduing the evil of my nature, in loosing me from the present evil world, in supporting me under the trials of life, in enabling me to abide with thee in my valleys, in exercising me to have a conscience void of offense before thee and before men. In all my affairs may I distinguish between duty and anxiety, and may my character and not my circumstances chiefly engage me. Amen. All right, well, again, thank you for spending this time with me this morning, and I hope to see you this evening. Have a good day. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Saturday, March 11th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. 
we are going to, uh, the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast, I'm sorry, is, is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. I would definitely recommend that you go over there and listen. It'd definitely be worth your while. There is more podcasts than you'll have time to listen to, but it will definitely be worth your while. So I would definitely encourage you to do that. Uh, we're going to be continuing on this morning in our reading of Thomas, or this evening, and um, our reading of Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture. And uh, like I've said before, this is not just for men. Um, that's how Thomas Watson wrote it, but it's really the picture of the godly person. Um, so let's go ahead and get started. We're going to go ahead and open up this evening with the Lord's Day Eve prayer. So let's pray. God of the passing hour, another week has gone and I have been preserved in my going out and my coming in. Thine has been the vigilance that has turned threatened evils aside. Thine the supplies that have nourished me. Thine the comforts that have indulged me. Thine the relations and friends that have delighted me. Thine the means of grace which have edified me. Thine the book which amidst all my enjoyments has told me that this is not my rest. That in all successes one thing alone is needful to love my, is needful to love my Savior. Nothing can equal the number of thy mercies but my imperfections and sins. These, O God, I will neither conceal nor palliate, but confess with a broken heart. In what condition would secret reviews of my life leave me, were it not for the assurance that with thee there is plenteous redemption, that thou art a forgiving God, that thou mayest be feared? While I hope for pardon through the blood of the cross, I pray to be clothed with humility, to be quickened in thy way, to be more devoted to thee, to keep the end of my life in view, to be cured of the folly of delay and indecision, to know how frail I am, to number my days and apply my heart unto wisdom. Amen. All right. Now our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. This text comes from Isaiah 62:12. Thou shalt be called, sought out. The surpassing grace of God is seen very clear in that we were not only sought, but sought out. Men seek for a thing which is lost upon the floor of the house. But in such a case there is only seeking, not seeking out. The loss is more perplexing and the search more persevering when a thing is sought out. We were mingled with the mire. We were as when some precious piece of gold falls into the sewer and men gather out and carefully inspect a mass of abominable filth and continue to stir and rake and search among the heap until the treasure is found. Or, to use another figure, we were lost in a labyrinth. We wandered hither and thither and when mercy came after us with the gospel, it did not find us at the first coming. It had to search for us and seek us out, for we as lost sheep were so desperately lost and had wandered into such a strange country that it did not seem possible that even the good shepherd should track our devious roamings. Glory be to unconquerable grace. We were sought out. No gloom could hide us. No filthiness could conceal us. We were found and brought home. Glory be to infinite love. God the Holy Spirit restored us. The lives of some of God's people, if they could be written, would fill us with holy astonishment. Strange and marvelous are the ways which God uses in their case to find his own. Blessed be his name. He never relinquishes the search until the chosen are sought out effectually. They are not a people sought today and cast away tomorrow. Almightiness and wisdom combined will make no failures, they shall be called sought out. That any should be sought out is matchless grace, but that we should be sought out is grace beyond degree. We can find no reason for it but God's own sovereign love, 
and can only lift up our heart and wonder and praise the Lord that this night we hear the name of sought out. Well said. All right. So we're going to get into our reading of Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture. We are in chapter five, which is an exhortation to godliness. And we're going to be doing, um, we'll see sections four, five, and six, which are the last three sections of it. There are six sections to that, which is in chapter six, the exhortation to godliness. And then we're going to be reading chapter seven as well, which is a relatively short one. So let's begin. Number four, the excellence of godliness. The excellence of godliness appears in several ways. One, godliness is our spiritual beauty, the beautiness of holiness, Psalm 110.3. Godliness is to the soul what the light is to the world, to illustrate and adorn it. It is not greatness that sets us off in God's eyes, but, but goodness. What is the beauty of the angels, if not their sanctity? Godliness is the elaborate embroidery and workmanship of the Holy Spirit. A soul furnished with godliness is damasked with beauty. It is enameled with purity. This is the clothing of wrought gold, which makes the king of heaven fall in love with us. If there were not an excellence in holiness, the hypocrite would never try to paint it. Godliness sheds a glory and luster upon the saints. What are the graces but the golden feathers in which Christ's dove shines? Psalm 68.13 Number 2. Godliness is our defense. Grace is called the armor of light, Romans 13.12. It is light for beauty and armor for defense. A Christian has armor of God's making, which cannot be shot through. He has the shield of faith, the helmet of hope, the breastplate of righteousness. This armor defends against the assaults of temptation and the terror of hell. Number three, godliness breeds solid peace. Great peace have those who love your law, Psalm 119, 165. Godliness composes the heart, making it sedate and calm like the upper region, where there are no winds and tempests. How can that heart be unquiet, where the Prince of Peace dwells? Christ in you. Colossians 1.27 A holy heart may be compared to the doors of Solomon's temple, which were made of olive tree carved with open flowers. The olive of peace and the open flower of joy are in that heart. Godliness does not destroy a Christian's mirth but refines it. His rose is without prickles, his wine without froth. The one who is a favorite of heaven is necessarily full of joy and peace. He may truly sing a requiem to his soul and say, Soul, take your ease. Luke 12:19. King Ptolemy asked someone how he might be at rest when he dreamed. He replied, Let piety be the scope of all your actions. If anyone were to ask me how to be at rest when he is awake, I would reply with a similar answer. Let his soul be inlaid with godliness. Number four, godliness is the best trade. We can drive. It brings profit. I'm sorry. Godliness is the best trade we can drive. It brings profit. Wicked men say it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it? Malachi 3.14. To be sure, there is no profit in sin. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing. Proverbs 10.2. But godliness is profitable, 1 Timothy 4.8. It is like digging in a gold mine, where there is gain as well as toil. Godliness makes God himself our portion. The Lord is the, is the portion of my inheritance, Psalm 
Psalm 16, 5, sorry. If God is our portion, then our entire estate lies in jewels. Where God gives himself, he gives everything else. Whoever has the manor has all the royalties belonging to it. God is a portion that can neither be spent nor lost. Psalm 73, 26. Thus we see that godliness is a thriving trade, and just as godliness brings profit with it, so it is profitable for all things. 1 Timothy 4, 8. What else is profitable besides godliness? Food will not give a man wisdom. Gold will not give him health. Honor will not give him beauty. But godliness is useful for all things. It fences off all troubles. It supplies all needs. It makes soul and body completely happy. Number five, godliness is an enduring substance. It knows no falling leaf. All worldly delights have a death's, death's head on them. They are only shadows and they are fleeting. Earthly comforts are like Paul's friends, who took him to the ship and left him there. Acts 20.38 So these will bring a man to his grave and then take their farewell. But godliness is a possession we cannot be robbed of. It runs parallel with eternity. Force cannot weaken it. Age cannot wither it. It outbraves suffering. It outlives death. Proverbs 10.2 Death may pluck the stalk of the body, but the flower of grace is not hurt. Number 6 Godliness is so excellent that the worst men want it when they are going from here. Though, all, though at present godliness is despised and under a cloud, yet at death all would like to be godly. A philosopher asked a young man whether he would like to be a, a rich Croesus or a vi virtuous Socrates. He answered that he would like to live with Croesus and die with Socrates. So men would like to live with the wicked in pleasure, but die with the godly. Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my end be like this. Numbers 23.10 If then godliness is so desirable at death, why should we not pursue it now? Godliness is as needful now, and it would be more feasible. Section 5 There are but few that are godly. They are like the gleanings after vintage, but most receive the mark of the beast. Revelation 13.17 the devil keeps open house for all the comers, and he is never without guests. This may prevail with us to be godly. If the number of the saints is so small, how we should labor to be found among these pearls. Only a remnant shall be saved. Romans 9.27 It is better going to heaven with a few than to hell in the crowd. Christ's flock is a little one. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Luke 12.32 Section 6. Consider how vain and contemptible other things are about which people that are void of godliness busy themselves. Men are taken up about the things of this life, but what profit does he have who has labored for the wind? Ecclesiastes 5.16. Can the wind fill? What is gold but the dust of the earth? Amos 2.7. Which will sooner choke than satisfy? Pull off the mask of the most beautiful thing under the sun and look what is inside. There is anxiety and vexation, and the greatest anxiety is still coming, and that is to give account. The things of the world are but a bubble in the water, or a meteor in the air, but godliness has real worth in it. If you speak of true honor, it is to be born of God. 1 John 5 Verse 4 If of true valor, it is to fight the good fight of faith. 1 Timothy 6.12 If of true delight, it is to have joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14.17 Oh, then espouse godliness. Here reality is to be had. 
of other things we may say they comfort in vain. Zechariah 10.2 Chapter 7 Prescribing some helps to godliness. Question. But what shall we do that we may be godly? Answer. I will briefly lay, lay down some rules or helps to godliness. Number 1. Be diligent in the use of all means that may promote godliness. Strive to enter in at the narrow gate. Luke 13.24 What is purpose without pursuit? When you have made your estimate of godliness, pursue those means which are most expedient to obtain it. Number 2. Beware the world. It is hard for a clot of dust to become a star. Do not love the world. 1 John 2.15 Many would like to be godly, but the honors and profits of the world divert them. Where the world fills both head and heart, there is no room for Christ. The one whose mind is rooted in the earth is likely enough to deride godliness. When our Savior was preaching against sin, the Pharisees who were covetous derided him. Luke 16.14 The world eats out the heart of godliness, as the ivy eats out the heart of the oak. The world kills with her silver darts. Number 3. Habituate yourself to the holy thoughts. Serious meditation represents everything in its true color. It shows the evil of sin and the luster of grace. By holy delights the head grows clearer and the heart better. I thought on my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. Psalm 119.59 If men would step aside a little out of the noise and hurry of business and spend but half an hour every day in thinking about their souls and eternity, it would tend very much toward a real and blessed conversion in them. Number 4. Watch your hearts. This was Christ's watchword to his disciples. Watch, therefore, Matthew 24.42. The heart will precipitate us to sin before we are aware. A subtle heart needs a watchful eye. Watch your thoughts, your affections. The heart has a thousand doors to run out of. Oh, keep close sentinel on your souls. Stand continually on your watchtowers. Habakkuk 2.1 When you have prayed against sin, watch against temptation. Most wickedness in the world is committed for lack of watchfulness. Watchfulness maintains godliness. It is the edging which keeps piety from unraveling. Number 5. Be conscientious how you spend your time. Redeeming the time, Ephesians 5.16. Many people fool away their time, some in idle visits, others in recreations and pleasures, which secretly bewitch the heart and take it away from better things. What are our golden hours for but to mind our souls? Time misspent is not time lived, but time lost. Time is a precious commodity. A piece of wax in itself is not worth much, but when it is affixed to the label of a will, and it conveys an estate, it is of great value. Thus time is not so considerable, simply in itself. But because salvation is to be worked out in it, and the conveyance of heaven depends on using it well, it is of infinite concern. Number 6. Think of your short stay in the world. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is none abiding. 1 Corinthians 29.15 I think that's right. Maybe that's First Chronicles 29.15. Anyways, there is only a span between the cradle and the grave. Solomon says there is a time to be born and a time to die. Ecclesiastes 3.2 But he mentions no time of living. As if there was so short, as if that were so short that it was not worth mentioning. Time, once it is gone, cannot be recalled. The scripture compares time to a flying eagle. Job 9.26 Yet time differs from the eagle in this. The eagle flies forward and then back again, but time has wings only to fly forward. It never returns again. 
the serious thoughts of our short stay here would be a great means to promote godliness. What if death were to come before we are ready? What if our life were to breathe out before God's Spirit has breathed in? Whoever considers how flitting and winged his life is will hasten his repentance. When God is about to make a short work, he will not work long. Number seven, possess yourself with this maxim, that godliness is the end of your creation. God never sent men into the world only to eat and drink and put on fine clothes, but that they might serve him in holiness and righteousness. God made the world only as a dressing room in which to dress our souls. He sent us here on the grand errand of godliness. Should nothing then but the body, the brutish part, be looked after? That would be to basely degenerate, degenerate, yes, to invert and frustrate the very end of our being. Number eight, be often among the godly. They are the salt of the earth and will help to season you. Their counsels may direct you. Their prayers may quicken you. Such holy sparks may be thrown into your breast as to kindle devotion in you. It is good to be among the saints, to learn the trade of godliness. He who walks with wise men shall be wise. Proverbs 13.20 All right. Well, that is... Bookmark that. That is our reading for the day. Um, I, I continue to hope and pray that this reading of Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture has been beneficial to you. It, it has been to me. Um, it, it definitely, you know, um, it helps in the walk. Um, just like, um, uh, I can't think of the author, The Mortification of Sin is another good one. It, it, it helps provide practical guidance on what our godly walk should look like, what, what, what our walk of sanctification should look like. We're not just saved and then go on about our life however we want to. Um, we're not supposed to do that anyways. We're supposed to come in repentance and faith and our heart's supposed to be changed and therefore we should become more and more like Christ every day. We should become more and more like Christ. And that's, that's what Thomas Watson is talking about here. That, that is where we should be striving towards, that, that godly picture of us. We should be imitators of God, Ephesians 5.1. We should be imitators of God. Um, Paul, and I can't remember which other epistle he states it in, but he says, be imitators of me, being imitators of Paul, as he is an imitator of Christ. Therefore, taking on those attributes, the, the communicable ones um, of, of behavior that we are to look like that. And that's, that's what Thomas Watson is speaking of here. And that's why I hope this is beneficial to you. Um, don't get me wrong. Bible study is very, very critical. And what Thomas Watson is saying here comes from the scriptures. As we see, he's constantly, constantly quoting scripture to back up the point he's making. This is the guidance we need because in this world, especially as crazy as it is right now, you and I have got to look more and more like God. We've got to look more and more like Christ. We have to be that light in this world because this world so badly needs that light. And that's honestly, that's what we're called to do. That is obedience. If we're not being obedient in that way, we're being sinful. We're not called to be pew sitters, holding them down so gravity doesn't release them and they go shooting through the roof. We're not called to be pew sitters. We're not called to be just Bible study sitters. We're called to be disciples that make disciples. And in doing that, we're called to walk as light in this world. That's, that's why I wanted to read this for you. All right. So anyways, let's go ahead and let's wrap up for the day. I know that was a little short one, but I'm kind of glad that, that, 
that gives a good start and that means I can turn around and get this published. So let's go ahead and close out. We're going to close out with the seventh day evening prayer. It's called future blessing. Let's pray. O Lord God, there is no blessing we implore, but thou art able to give, hast promised to give, hast given already to countless multitudes, all unworthy and guilty like ourselves. Make us willing to receive the supply of our need from thy bounty. To this end, convince us of sin. Soften our hard hearts to bewail our folly and gratitude, pride, unbelief, rebellion, corruption. Through the law may we die to the law. Then look with wonder, submission, delight to the provision thou hast made for the glory of thy name and the salvation of sinners. Give us a hope that makes us not ashamed, a love that excites to holy obedience, a joy in thee that is our strength a faith in thy Son, who loved us and died for us. May we persevere in duty when not fully conscious of thee. Wait upon thee and keep thy way. Be humble and earnest suppliance at thy feet. Live continually as on the brink of eternity. Let us be at thy disposal for the duties and events of life. Submit our preferences to thy wisdom and will. Resign our enjoyments if thou shouldst require it, as our absolute proprietor and best friend. In our unworthiness and provocations, make us grateful for the means of grace and the ordinances of religion, and teach us to profit by them more than we have done. Help us to be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, to enter upon the Sabbath mindful of its solemnities, duties, privileges, setting all things worldly aside while we worship Thee. May we know the blessedness of men whose strength is in Thee, and in whose hearts are the highways to heaven. Amen. All right, well, you have a wonderful night, and I hope to see you in the morning. Have a good one. God bless.